You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my new weekly moves series, where I offer tips, advice, and insight on a variety of topics from entrepreneurship to wellness and lots in between. Sometimes I'll be on here solo, and other times I'll bring in the experts. This week, I'm syncing up with my go-to for nutrition, Ashley Reaver. She's a registered dietitian, a certified sports dietitian, and the lead nutrition scientist at Inside Tracker. Ashley is one of my trusted sources for health and nutrition expertise. Today, we are doing a deep dive into supplements, vitamins, and nutrients, and which ones you should really get from food, and when it makes sense to take a supplement. We're talking vitamin D, zinc, fish oil, B vitamins and biotin, resveratrol, collagen, and more. Ashley is also a nutrition lecturer at UC Berkeley and has her own private practice. You can find her on Instagram at lower.cholesterol.nutrition, where she's currently offering a free class on lowering cholesterol as well as a more comprehensive paid workshop on lowering cholesterol and, of course, one-on-one nutrition counseling. Last but most importantly, Ashley is a triathlete. Okay, let's get started. I really appreciate you coming back on the podcast today to talk about supplements and food as medicine and all the different ways that we can be thinking about being healthy in 2021 and just demystifying a couple of these things. A lot of my listeners have asked me, should I take vitamin D? Like what's NMN? What's resveratrol? Why would I take vitamin C? Like what do these things work? What brands? Like all these questions. And I really, you know, I'm not the expert. I don't know how to answer them. Hence you. So, you know, as we <laughs> as we move into 2021, it seems more and more people are on this quest to be proactive about their health. And you are an expert, certified registered dietitian, CSSD, UC Berkeley teacher, and the lead nutrition scientist at Inside Tracker. So, I'd love to hear from you on what supplements we should should not be taking, what not per se specifically brands, because I know that's not cool to do, but maybe the types of supplements versus food and how we can achieve healthy goals this year. Yes, absolutely. So let's start with vitamin D. A good one. A very popular one at the moment. Right. Yeah, I I think vitamin D, it's always been like a buzzword, especially around winter. But I think over the past year in, in particular, it has really blown up just with research about COVID coming out. Right. And I think in particular, like the connections that they've made were really association studies that individuals that had less positive outcomes with COVID-19 also tended to have lower levels of vitamin D. 
And I think that how the media sometimes does is they take that one sentence and blow it up into something else. A lot of what was missed there is that a lot of individuals that unfortunately passed from COVID were also black and brown individuals that typically have lower levels of vitamin D as well. So vitamin D is important, but it isn't necessarily the number one thing that you could do to prevent COVID. Before we move on to the next thing, why are black and brown people having less vitamin D and what does that have to do with our skin? Sure. So typically most of us make vitamin D in our skin. The UV rays from the sun convert some form of cholesterol basically into a form of vitamin D that then gets transferred into an active form of vitamin D when we need it. Right. And, you know, evolutionarily, black and brown people typically were living in places where there was a lot of sunshine. The skin developed more melanin to be protective against that sunshine. And in that process, it makes it a little bit more difficult to produce vitamin D in the skin. So black and brown individuals living in New York City, living in Chicago. Yeah. There's no sun anyways. So, you know, the fact that there's less sun and the melanin in their skin makes it slightly more difficult to make vitamin D naturally. Those typically are reasons behind why vitamin D levels are lower. For most people above basically the Mason-Dixon line. I was going to say, like, it has to do with how close you are to the sun also. Yep. So I think it's the 37th or 38th latitude, um, basically between October to April when the earth tilts away from the sun when we're in wintertime. Uh, the northern hemisphere is in wintertime. Basically, the strength of the sun, the UV rays coming from the sun just isn't strong enough for us to produce that vitamin D in the skin. The same thing is true as you age. Older people have a much more difficult time producing vitamin D in the skin. If you go outside and you always have on sunscreen, SPF over 15 blocks your skin's ability to produce vitamin D. If you're in a hat that covers your face, long sleeves, you have on pants, like a lot of baseball players in Florida, even you know while they're outside, if there's no place that the sun actually gets to touch the skin for at least 20 minutes, unfiltered, basically, it is really difficult to have the opportunity to produce enough of that vitamin D. So what do we do? So get tested, I'd say is the first thing. Yeah. Again, this is not a blanket absolutely everyone needs to take a vitamin D supplement. And, you know, oftentimes when you see those headlines of vitamin D, like low vitamin D associated with poor outcomes with COVID, you know, nature made, made a thousand billion dollars. Right, right, that right, right. isn't a realistic figure, but really what you want to do is, is check your vitamin D first and see if you actually need it. Yeah. It is a hard nutrient to get from foods Really, the only natural source of vitamin D is fatty fish. So salmon, halibut, mackerel, those types of things, which for the vast majority of Americans aren't in the diet two or more times a week. I was going to ask how many times a week because, I mean, I just ran to the store. Not that I don't already eat like that, but I did make a commitment to our family to be shopping and making sure that we're eating either salmon or halibut one time a week. We're not doing two times a week, but we're definitely committed to one. That's awesome. Yeah, but I don't know how much- The downside of it is, if fish is your only source of vitamin D, we also don't recommend that you eat fish every single day. Right. So while it is a source, it's not the best thing to have in your diet every single day. Right. Just because fish also has mercury in it, and we don't want you to consume too much of that. Right. So twice a week is is a good goal. If once a week is- like a a step up from where you usually are. Awesome. Kudos to you for sticking there. 
other sources that you can find are fortified foods with vitamin D. So typically dairy is fortified with vitamin D okay. since vitamin D is so important for calcium absorption. And you can also find that in non-dairy foods. So almond milk, soy milk, hemp, pea, whatever else you can find out there. They're typically fortified with vitamin D to match those nutrients that you would get from cow's milk. Okay. And what about supplements? Do they work? Do like, are there certain supplements for vitamin D that are better than others and no need to name brands unless you want to? Yeah. So definitely supplements work, but there are certain people that some supplements don't seem to be as effective. And I think that that's one of the reasons why personally I love Inside Tracker. Or you visiting your doctor if they're willing to give you a vitamin D test multiple times a year is just because you can figure out, you can land on the thing that works. You know, in particular, it's really, supplements are kind of like a faith-based habit, basically. Yes. Unless you have the opportunity to check in and see that what you're doing is having an impact. You know, I don't want you wasting a year taking a supplement that's not the right dosage or doesn't have in it what it says that it does on the label or just that your body isn't necessarily responding to doing that for a year, wasting time and money, and then going back to the doctors a year later. And it's still not having moved that very much. Yeah. I mean, my vitamin D has been below 30 in like between 24, 25, 30. And I know it's supposed to be above 30 for the past year. And I think always, and I actually, I, I, when I first learned this, I thought that was weird because I'm always outside that was a long time ago, like three, four years ago. And then when I started working with Inside Tracker and doing my blood testing, I learned from you guys more about the nutritional value and where I could get it, vitamin D nutritionally and why I needed it and how it's a hormone and all the things that everyone needs to know about about vitamin D. And I've been much more mindful and I actually was taking a supplement because I did my first test with Inside Tracker last year in right before COVID, actually like three months before COVID. And I had low, low vitamin D, so I immediately started taking a supplement, but it didn't, it didn't work. My vitamin D did not go up. It went up, it did not go up, it did not go up. And actually I just got tested then in November when I learned that it did not go up. And it's, it's just whatever I'm taking, it's not working. So I switched vitamin D supplements and I'm gonna test again in a couple months. I don't know. I mean, I'm just trial and error, right? I mean, that's what you've got to yep. do if you can, right? Like you, but you're right. Like yep. you can't wait a year because so many things happen in a year. And also it depends on when you test it, like what time of day. So there's a lot yep. that goes into it, but it's important. And testing in the summer versus testing in the winter. You know, there are parts of New York City with sunshine, but not all of them. <laughs> yeah, no, not today. And I'd say yeah. for vitamin D, the most important thing is that When you're taking vitamin D, you want to make sure that you're taking it with some source of fat. It's a fat-soluble vitamin, and how our body absorbs fat-soluble vitamins is through a different pathway than it would, say, water-soluble vitamins like vitamin B vitamins and vitamin C. So those are absorbed similarly to how protein and carbs are. Fats are absorbed through a different pathway. So in order to maximize the body's ability to absorb that vitamin D, you want to make sure you're having it with some source of fat. So like an avocado. Some avocado toast and a shot of vitamin D. (laughs) Delicious breakfast. But, you know, also just taking it with a meal. Most foods, not all, but most meals, yeah, have some sort of fat in it. So don't take it on an empty stomach with your black coffee. It's not good to take vitamin D with caffeine, right? Coffee's okay. Iron's the one that you don't want to do with coffee. Got it. And then at night or any specific time of day that you should take it? No. 
doesn't fine. really matter as long as there's some some fat that can help your body absorb it. Okay. And now, so vitamin D is a supplement that if you need it and you talk to your doctor and the doctor recommends that you increase your vitamin D, then you should take the supplement. It could be helpful. Especially if access to more sun is not an option. If fortified dairy is not something that you enjoy, fish isn't food, isn't a food that you eat. But even those food, even fortified dairy and fish, while they have vitamin D, if you have a really low level of vitamin D, you're not going to get enough from those two things to really move the needle where you need it to go. And so Um, important there, supplements should not be taken forever. Please, please, please do not take high dose and for the rest of your life, a fat soluble vitamin can be stored. It can be stored. So you can get your level back up and then you go off the vitamin D and see if it maintains. Yeah. So if you have, let's say your vitamin D level is at like 15, you take a supplement, you get it up to 40. Great. If you completely drop back, your body has stored that vitamin D in your liver as well as your fat stores. But clearly something in your lifestyle isn't getting you a consistent source of vitamin D in order to be able to reach those levels normally. So your body's going to use those stores. And if you're not continuing to kind of supplement with that right. or change other things, it's probably a safe bet that you're going to find yourself back to back down at 15 the next year. So once you do reach a higher level, if there's changes that you can make to your diet to consistently get in that vitamin D, great. Usually what I recommend is maybe dropping back to just taking your supplement once or twice a week. Right. That's kind of a base level to just help you stay there. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think everybody this year should really like dial into their vitamin D and start thinking about that moving forward because it is an important part of our immune system. Definitely. Like how, what role does vitamin D play in our immune system? <laughs> Truthfully, I don't know if it is well established what it is. Vitamin D, as you mentioned, is much more similar to a hormone than other vitamins. Right. But there are a lot of connections between having suboptimal or clinically low, so levels of vitamin D less than 30, and being more susceptible to certain illnesses, as well as the severity of some of those illnesses, you know, taking a little bit longer for your body to overcome that as well. What are some supplements that we should not be taking that you think are not easily absorbed into our bodies? Well, I say there's not necessarily supplements that are not easily absorbed. I'm sure that there are certainly some, but really there's some supplements that are unnecessary to take. Okay. And that food is really a better option for them. So vitamin C is is a great one. Mega dosing on vitamin C Maybe there's some like anecdotal stories of not getting a cold, but for the most part, if you're eating enough vitamin C through fresh fruits and vegetables, don't take a supplement. That's a waste of money. B vitamins are another one. Vitamin B12 is one if that's worth taking a supplement if you don't consume any animal products. But the other B vitamins, if you eat food, you're getting them. So a B complex is just a lot of stuff that you're going to end up peeing out. Your body basically for water soluble vitamins. So those B vitamins, you need them every day. And what you don't need, your body gets rid of maybe on, you know, one to two days. If you're eating B12 and you don't have um, a genetic variation in your MTHFR gene, then there's no reason that you would have a difficult time with getting B12 from food. Older people, B12 is, is honestly probably like the most complex nutrient for the body to absorb. It has to go through so many steps and needs so many different things for us to be able to absorb it. If you're a healthy younger person that eats meat, you're not going to, or animal products, so that also includes dairy and eggs, you're going to be fine. 
most likely you don't need a vitamin B12 supplement. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, that really includes small amounts of animal products. B12 supplement is not something to mess around with. Um, In the nutrition courses that I teach at Berkeley, it's very popular for freshmen in college to become vegans with no knowledge whatsoever about actually things that their body needs. And this B12 one is so, so important because sure, you can choose to cut out animal products, but then you've also cut out a lot of nutrients that your body still needs. So that B12 one is super, super important. And that can is one of the water-soluble vitamins that can result in long-lasting brain damage, truthfully, if your levels are low for long periods of time. Our liver stores B12 while it's a B vitamin. So technically it's water-soluble. It's kind of a hybrid between water-soluble and fat-soluble. Our liver stores it for about two years. So you have a two-year like grace period of when you decide to try a vegan diet. Um, where your body has some stores of this B12 to use. After that point, you really need to be bringing B12 into your diet from from supplement. And you can test, your doctor will test your B12 levels. Or if you do something like Inside Tracker, it also tests your vitamin yep. B12 levels. And, and truthfully, in my, um, in private practice, if I'm, there's vitamin D, iron, and B12 are three nutrients that you, a lot of people, and in particular, a lot of women are, are lower in, um, and, you know, they want to get a blood test through their doctor. I always recommend those that they ask for those three before you just start supplementing because you think you should. And I always tell them, if you get any pushback, tell your doctor that you're a vegan because then they have a reason to look at those three markers. Yeah. There was a window of time where I was trying to change my diet and be vegan because I already don't eat a lot of the food that is not vegan is not vegan. So um, I was taking B12. But I recently, you know, the last few tests I've had, my B12 is good. So I stopped taking it. I don't need to take it. I don't I do eat meat now, though I'm not vegan. And what are that's a good thing, I think, to test is to know when it's high. Yeah, you know, when you a lot of people that are just taking large amounts of B12, then they get it tested, an inside tracker and their level is so high above what is normal, like not like it's clinically high. Right. And, you know, it's, well, I didn't realize this. I talked to someone this morning and she, and her multivitamin had B12 in it and it had like 2000% of her daily value wow. of B12 in the multivitamin. And I went to Costco the other day, or I didn't go to Costco. I was on Instacart looking at Costco and somebody had asked me about one of their B12 supplements that they had. I don't know what brand it was, but it had 41,000% of the daily value of B12. And it's not necessarily like very dangerous to have that much B12, but it is so unnecessary, right? especially if you're not deficient. So don't just take a supplement because you heard it might be helpful because well, also fatigue like, or with puts, memory. It puts a lot of stress on your liver, right? When you're right. taking supplements. So if exactly. you don't need it, don't take it. Everything that you eat, stuff. good and bad, yeah. it goes through your liver. So you know, everyone likes to talk about detox things. If your liver decided to take a day off, we would all be dead. <laughs> but your liver shouldn't yeah. need to be working through all of these things unnecessarily. Yeah. No, and I mean, what are some nutrients that are super challenging to get from food that you think we should get from supplements? So vitamin D definitely falls in there for most people. Vitamin B12 if you don't eat a lot of animal products. And then the last one is iron. Um, And in particular for premenopausal females that are active, iron is a really big one. Um, Iron deficiency is the number one nutrient deficiency in the United States. And largely it's because of this active premenopausal female 
population. And if you look at the amount of iron that women need, uh, premenopausal women, it's like 28 milligrams per day. Men is much, much lower. I think theirs is nine milligrams per wow. day. Um, and it's because of the blood loss and we, you know, the need to right. have to replace all of the iron that's lost, however frequently your cycle is. But that is one that's really difficult. And most women typically don't eat as much high iron foods as men do. Men do. So in the U.S., the number one source of iron is really beef or any type of red meat. So certainly bison and lamb could also fall into that. That's a good source. of But most women aren't eating a lot of servings of beef every single day. Right. Shellfish, mollusks, not shrimp or lobster, but mollusks are a really good source of iron as well. Maybe if you're in Maine, but most people also aren't eating those every single day or Rhode Island. (laughs) And then there are, you can find iron in plant sources. So spinach and beans are good sources of iron, but they also come with nutrients that make it more difficult for the body to absorb iron. So that again gets me to my my vegan crowd of my yes. freshman nutrition students is these are things that you really should check. You know, yes, these nutrients are part of foods, but there's also anti-nutrients is what they'd be called that make absorbing iron from beans and spinach more difficult. And now like you're since you're on the topic of anti-nutrients, you know, I know magnesium and calcium kind of go together, right? So there's certain nutrients yep. And I'm not talking about, so I'm just talking about nutrients, like that when you eat them, certain nutrient combinations that digest better together, that work better together in your body. So what are some of those? So calcium and vitamin D is probably the strongest. It doesn't necessarily need to be eaten at the same time, but vitamin D's role in your body is really regulating how much calcium gets absorbed from your digestive tract. So that's why vitamin D is something outside of immune health. Yes. You know, rickets was something that was an issue back in the industrial revolution. The bowing of the legs, not something we see so much now, but that's why vitamin D deficiency does have such an impact on your bones as well. And typically most calcium supplements, you know, if your doctor recommends a calcium supplement, oftentimes there will be a vitamin D supplement that is either paired with it or that they also recommend. Um, Calcium, iron, and magnesium, they're all actually pretty similar in how the body can absorb them, those minerals, same with zinc. So any of these anti-nutrients that would impact iron are also going to impact your ability to absorb calcium, magnesium, and zinc too. Okay. Um, so we don't have to go too deep into that rabbit hole, but if all, you know, beans are a really great source. They do have calcium. They're a good source of iron. They have some magnesium in them. However, because they also have this anti-nutrient in them, a phytic acid, it's difficult to really be able to absorb that. Spinach is similar. It has oxalic acid in it. Spinach is an amazing source of iron, has a good amount of calcium in it. And food companies can write that, you know, this is a great source of calcium and iron. They're not responsible for saying, even though you can only absorb 10% of it. So so it is helpful when you're trying to use food as a way to get these nutrients to also kind of supplement with them. If if needed, if, if it's needed, low. If your levels are low. Like I, my magnesium level is medium. My iron's good. My calcium is good, which I don't even really eat a lot of dairy. So I don't exactly know how that is happening, but I do eat a lot of spinach. So the calcium is an interesting yeah. one. Yeah. Calcium and magnesium are two super interesting ones in that your bones regulate 
how much is in your blood. Okay. So if you don't eat enough in your diet, your blood level is not going to change. Okay. You're going to be taking it out of your bone to maintain your blood level. Got so it. Calcium is a super sneaky one. Oh. Um, but if you eat any, like, same thing with um, I've been like vitamin D. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, fortify. Yeah, I just don't want, milk. I don't think that anyone's going to listen to this that's going to, like, come after me. <laughs> I have been, I have been eating it. It's fine. Fortified non-dairy milks are a good source of calcium. Like like, Um, um, almond milk? Almond milk. um, And they're fortified with as much calcium, if not more, than dairy milk so that they can compete for, you know, being a good source of calcium. Okay, that's good. So calcium is sneaky. You need it. It doesn't have to come from cow's milk, but especially women need it. And this is another of my soapboxes for our young freshman yes. vegan. I have you, some very you young deposit... listeners. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> so you can deposit calcium in your bones up to about age 30. After that point, it switches to you trying to maintain the calcium that's okay. in your bones. So if you decide to go on a plant-based diet, your last 10 years of being able to deposit calcium in your bones and you're not getting very much calcium whatsoever, You've reached your kind of max potential at 18, and then it's just down from there. So you're going to be much more susceptible to osteoporosis, fractures, and all of that stuff later in life. Yeah. Oh, gosh, so much to worry about. (laughs) Thank you for all my listeners for making me do this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And what about fish oil, since we're just going down that path? Like, what are your thoughts on taking fish oil versus getting it from food or doing both? Sure. So fish oil, I feel like it's, they've got a good marketing team behind fish oil. Okay. Like milk. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I need some of that marketing money myself. Yeah. Let's get it. Um, so fish oil, there are two things that are very well supported by taking a good quality fish oil supplement. That's uh, lowering your triglycerides if they're above 150. Mm-hmm. So if you have high triglycerides, it can also be helpful with lowering blood pressure levels because it impacts those two things it gets a you know good for heart health stamp on it Mm -hmm. that does not mean that it's good for your bad cholesterol your ldl and there's no research that shows it's a good opportunity to increase your hdl in fact the small bump that you might get from your hdl maybe five percent oftentimes it can cause a ten percent increase in your ldl that offsets it more than you would want so it's not something that you should be taking for cholesterol If you have high levels of triglycerides, it can be worth that small increase in LDL to really bring that triglyceride level down. If you have high blood pressure, it could also be something that's worth considering. Right. Those are the things for supplement. Fish, though, as a general category, is something that is more beneficial for your cholesterol levels, in part largely because if you're eating fish, you're not eating some other type of animal meat that's really high in saturated fat. Right. So fish have much lower that saturated fat than, you know, if you were having a steak for dinner. Right. So in and, that sense, yeah. it's a it's a good swap. Yeah. And is, does the type of fish matter? Like salmon, halibut, white fish? Yeah. Like... I mean, best fish, in my opinion, if you're going to eat fish, why not get the biggest bang for your buck while yes. you're eating it? Um, you know, those fatty fishes. So salmon, halibut, mackerel. I think carp say is sardines. on that list. I know you're, yeah, they're good for uh, Sardines you. are pretty good. Sardines are also a great source of calcium because they're little bones. You end up eating them. And tuna steaks, tuna steaks, like you would get seared tuna, yeah. like the bright red tuna, actually is a pretty good source of iron. Tuna that you get in the can, less good source of iron. But those fatty fish, yeah. a good way that I kind of yes. like to think about it is if they're from cold areas, 
they're going to have more of that fat to insulate them. Tropical fish typically are a lot leaner. They're still a good source of lean protein, but you're not going to get the benefits of, of those good omega-3 fats right. um, that fish really, really offer. <laughs> Just to sum it up, fish oil is a good supplement. It's also good to, it's a good supplement, but it's, it's not the only thing that you should be doing. Yeah, it's a good supplement if you have high triglycerides or potentially if you have high blood pressure. But if you don't, then you don't need to take it. If you're eating fish, like a few times a month or whatever, like if it's not low. Yeah, a, a good goal of is once a week. And I'd say start start there. But you're probably not going to see a benefit in vitamin D, but you can probably see a benefit in overall heart health by incorporating a bit more fish. Okay. And now another topic that comes up a lot is our microbiome and probiotics. And it's been a long time people have been talking about probiotics and you know, I've even been giving probiotics to my dogs recently because they were taking a lot of <laughs> antibiotics. And, you know, one of the things that always comes up is that like you can't like you can't just take like a probiotic, like probiotics are like antibiotics, like there's different ones for different things. So yep. how does that work? Maybe you can explain it to me and talk about what probiotics we should be taking and when and when not. Sure. So, yeah, the probiotics are just different strains of bacteria. Um, and different probiotics are going to have different strains in them, but there's also research that shows that certain strains are helpful for some things and other strains are helpful for other things. So just like your example with antibiotics, and it depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you're taking a research-based approach, the type of strain that you should be taking with them. Most probiotics maybe have one to three strains in them. Whether or not those are the strains that are linked to the reason that you think you need to take a probiotic depends. One thing I'd say that is most important to think about with probiotics is a reason to take probiotics is because having a more diverse microbiome or a more diverse gut is something that's generally considered healthier. And with that vein in mind, taking the same single strand probiotic supplement for the rest of your life doesn't help you achieve that gut diversity that is overall associated with just better health. So one thing that I always like to recommend is if you don't know which particular strain would be beneficial for whatever you're trying to achieve, varying up your probiotics is something that is a good way to just continue introducing more and more of these beneficial strains of bacteria in your gut. So buy one that's on sale. Six weeks later, when you bu- when you run out, buy the next one that's on sale. And just try and keep... How do you know if it's working? Like, how do you know? Yeah, I mean, supplements, again, there's no, like, thing that you could measure for probiotics. Sorry, not supplements. There's no, like, thing that you can measure and say, this is helpful because of my probiotic. Right. Um, typically, if you're having issues with your gut, it's not just because you're not taking probiotics. There's probably a whole handful of other things that you're doing that also are impacting doing or not doing that may also be impacting how your gut's feeling. Yeah. Um, there's not a not everyone does not need a probiotic. Right. Though. Probiotics are good, but put some education behind it before you take one. And yeah, or just eat it. Eat it. Yogurt. Eat yogurt. Eat kombucha or drink kombucha. I eat sauerkraut and yeah. kimchi. Like those are good. Like if you're not doing those things, then don't invest in a probiotic. You know, we already kind of covered vitamin B12 and B supplements, but there's also like B supplements for your hair and for your nails and things like that. What are your thoughts on for your skin? (laughs) So biotin is like the B vitamin that is 
most often associated with, like if you buy a hair, skin, and nail supplement, it's going to have 5,000% of your biotin in it. And this is kind of a similar thread that goes through a lot of supplements. If you have a biotin deficiency, yes, you could lose your hair. Biotin deficiency exists in an insanely small amount of the population. Right. um, Because there are some, for some groups, there's a genetic defect in your ability to metabolize biotin. An insanely small percent of the population has that. Where biotin really kind of got its, um, I feel like when it really became popular was when uh, bodybuilders in the 80s got into drinking raw eggs. Okay. um, Like blending those up. I remember. You think of those Rocky movies? Yes. So raw eggs have some have a protein in it called avidin, and avidin is something that binds to biotin, and then it transports it out. So we're not able to absorb biotin when you eat raw egg whites, really. Right. Um, cooking eggs completely denatures that protein, so it makes it so it can't do anything. Um, but there were a lot of people in the '80s drinking a ton of raw eggs, blending them. I'm up sure for some I reason. did that. For sure. I definitely drank raw <laughs> eggs. I'm sure my mother was doing it too. We were like doing that and taking like fitness classes with Molly Fox. Okay. So you may have fallen into that category for a small I period. I saw Rocky. Time, but a lot of those bodybuilders <laughs> yeah. were drinking so many eggs, noticed hair loss. And it was because this protein of avidin oh. in egg whites was binding to biotin and then your body couldn't absorb it. So it created a biotin deficiency. Right. Most of us aren't doing that anymore. No. I still eat but, raw cookie dough, though. Which is fine. It, they, I mean, and a lot of those were like drinking 12 raw eggs That's, a day. That was a lot of that yeah. to prevent to, your body from absorbing that. Sorry, I totally That's not what we're doing. derailed you. <laughs> no. Because on a camera, a example, in conversation, though. I'm actually really ridiculously, like, hysterical. <laughs> I'm but very serious good, on the podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a good conversation of like why, like, yeah, there's some scientific validity behind why biotin is associated with hair loss. Yeah. But for 99.9% of people, you don't have a biotin deficiency. Right. Taking a biotin supplement will not help you with that. Got it. And it is a B vitamin and it's hard to digest. It's it's a ton of, yeah. the, a ton of B vitamins, like thousands of percent of what your body actually needs. Yes. More so if you want to focus on your hair, skin and nails. Make sure you're eating enough calories, you have enough protein in your diet, and you're getting in healthy fats. A lot of people still have a fear of fats in their diet. If you're on a low-fat diet, in my mind, I associate low-fat diets with just feeling frail and like crumpled paper. Yes, yes. So your hair, skin, and nails are where you're really going to feel that. So make sure that you're eating a lot of these healthy fats. You're getting enough protein. You're getting enough calories. Yeah, that's super helpful. And then let's just talk about the longevity and aging supplements because- We have a mutual, we know someone mutually, David Sinclair, who talks a lot about them in his book. And also he's, you know, part of the whole Inside Tracker crew. I don't know where everybody stands on this, but I've been taking resveratrol since I interviewed him for the podcast. And also I've been taking an NR supplement, which we talked about this before the podcast. But like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, never, obviously David Sinclair knows yeah, so much more than me. You know, resveratrol is falls into a category of phenols, which is a type of antioxidant. At, you know, red wine is famous for having some resveratrol in it, but it's in the skin of basically most purpley things. So you can find it in blueberries. It's obviously in red grapes. In theory, those antioxidants can can be helpful in reducing inflammation, also for helping to maintain really the structural integrity 
of most of the cells in your body. For Inside Tracker, we have, I believe, a resveratrol supplement, um, perhaps related to glucose. But it's hard to say that taking a resveratrol supplement in humans has any impact on aging because we don't have a study that's been going on for 70 years to show that these people have taken supplements and they've lived longer. Right. And, you know, the same, that's kind of the same thing with NMN is super popular as well. In theory, makes a lot of sense. You know, it it helps in our mitochondria. Um, It can reduce like, or I guess anti-aging in the mitochondria is a way to say it, which is really the powerhouse of our cell. Um, So it works in a Petri dish. Yes. Uh, Perhaps it works in, in some animals or some organisms. Do we have research on that in humans? No. And that's, again, where it goes into being really like a faith-based category. Yes. Like in theory, these things work, but we don't actually know. Yeah. I'm on the faith-based program because if it's increasing my mitochondria and cell health, which in my mind, therefore makes me able to be stronger in my triathlon longer, I'm good. Like if there's no bad side effects, I'm taking it, you know, like, but um, I don't know, but I I do believe, but- you know, I'm, it is true. There's no science, <laughs> um, which there's no science for all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It's just that there's no um, like proven science that it works, but in humans, it, but, but in the, right. In theory it is, I'm sure there will and be on a, on a cell yeah. level and on, you know, other organisms like worms and, and rats and mice and things. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have more energy. I don't know if it's psychosomatic. It could be. Who knows? Which is but honestly it's also yeah. an important yeah. an important component of it. If you yeah. feel better, yeah. if you are telling yourself you should feel better and you feel better, Great. that's the same benefit. So Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't really chat about that you want to mention that you think, you know, we covered vitamin B, we covered D, fish oil, resveratrol. Yeah. I feel like collagen is a good one. That's so popular at the moment. I've been seeing so many like protein powder companies coming out with like a drop of collagen in there. So a backup quick, what collagen is, we make it in our body. It's made from amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. Need some vitamin C in there. Basically, it's a connective tissue. Um, it's also important for our skin um, and our gums, which is interesting. If you have a vitamin C deficiency, scurvy, when you get cracked gums is because your body can't produce the collagen to maintain that tissue. But anyways, collagen now, like being a huge buzzword is, I always find it really funny when some people are very anti-processed foods, but very into certain supplements for paleo people, you know, you won't eat a bean, but you will eat whey protein powder. That's chocolate flavored. Our caveman ancestors did not eat whey protein powder flavored like birthday cake, but okay, uh-huh. if it fits in this box narrative for yes. you, fine. Collagen, I feel like it's kind of similar. Yeah, you know, it's kind of everything that you can't put into a hot dog is then what goes into your collagen powder. It's just the carcass of an animal that is boiled um, in order to dissolve this collagen, and then it, it's just dried and turned into a powder. Um, in theory, you cannot eat collagen. It's not like eating collagen immediately goes into collagen in your body. How our body um, digests collagen is it still has to break it down to those amino acids. And then those amino acids in our body with vitamin C go through the process of becoming collagen. Okay. So the amino acids that you get from this powdered collagen is the same amino acids that you'd get if you just ate regular food that had protein in it. So sure, it can be an easy way to get 10 extra grams of protein in per day. Um, 
whether or not it really does anything there's no again no research to show that a lot of that's you know anecdotal but if you look at scientific research there's no research that shows that taking the supplement versus not actually has any statistical difference if it works great if it doesn't and you want to take it it's still 10 grams of protein if it's difficult for you to get protein in but you do not need to eat carcass in order to be healthy I think that people (laughs) don't really realize how much protein they need and I really think it's so that's like a that's a topic that I think everybody thinks like, oh, I need to get so much more protein. I need to get more protein. But like, we really don't need that much protein unless you're an athlete or, and even then. So I don't know. Yeah. What you're, there's, I feel like there's a big divide. There is a category of people that eat way too much protein. You do not need one gram of protein per pound of body weight. That is insane. Um, Per day. There is a, Yep. That's a category. There's a class of people. Maybe it comes from one of these bodybuilding websites, but that is way too much protein. Um, and then there's also another group, which honestly, I find a lot of older people fall into just because protein is something that unless you're using like a powder or you only eat Slim Jims, protein typically is something that you have to spend a little bit of time preparing that don't have enough protein. So it's important to find yourself somewhere in the middle. Right. A minimum amount of protein that everyone would need is if you take your body weight in pounds and divide it by 2.2 to get your body weight in kilograms, then multiply that by 0.8. And that's that's how much protein you need to survive. Per day? Yep, per day. So that's, you know, protein is so much more than just muscles. We need those amino acids from protein for literally proteins in our bodies are all sorts of stuff. On the higher end, athletes typically fall into like a 1.6, maybe up to 2.0. If you are really trying to put on more lean muscle, you're doing a really high amount of activity, in particular, high amount of high intensity activity. Triathlons typically fall in that, or triathletes typically fall in that 1.6 to 1.8 grams of protein per kilogram. That is still nowhere close to one gram of protein per one pound of body weight. That is so, so much. That's crazy. I can't even imagine. And your body, there is a limit to how much protein you can eat to influence your muscles. At a certain point, if you're eating so much protein that you're not eating enough calories or you're not eating enough carbohydrates, that protein is just a very, very expensive way for your body to meet its calorie needs and can convert that extra protein. Some of those amino acids can become glucose. Right. So, a piece of bread or like a bowl of rice is so much cheaper and easier for your body to deal with than taking a chicken breast and turning it into the same carbohydrate. Right. It's a lot of work. And just, Mm -hmm. I was just thinking while you were talking about protein and, you know, back to the whole vegan thing, lentils are really amazing, have a really amazing full, full profile amino acid, the whole thing. So they're really good. They're not a full profile. The only complete is soy is great. Quinoa is a good source. Okay. Not every single food needs to be like you don't, there used to be a, a school of thought that you always had to have these complementary proteins in the same meal. Okay. Um, which isn't true. It just, they just need to be there in the course of the day. Okay. So um, beans typically are lacking what you can find in grains. So as long as you have beans and grains and beans aren't the only thing you eat throughout the day, right? you're not going to have a protein deficiency. Awesome. Um, but like hemp seeds, uh, pumpkin seeds awesome also really awesome sources of protein um, and people that are interested in a vegan diet I usually try to push them towards including a lot of hemp seeds to help boost that also a good source of iron what about chia seeds yeah I think they're great they're an awesome source of soluble fiber which is good for your cholesterol 
they have those like good healthy fats. They do have some protein in them, not too much, but that's there. I think they're worth adding in. I like to convince my nieces that they're sprinkles so that they also get some uh, soluble fiber in there. That's so cute. Wait, how old are your nieces? You were just with them. Um, yeah. yeah, six, three, and one. The oh. one-year-old doesn't eat them, but. Yeah, no. You can put chia seed sprinkles on top of vanilla ice cream and it works just fine. That's so funny. <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You also have your own company and you work with many, many people to consult on nutrition. And right now you have a cholesterol workshop yep. that you're teaching that you have online and also a free course if people want to get a sense of like what you're all about. Tell me a little yes. bit about what you're doing so that in case my listeners want to dial into the world of Ashley Reaver. Yeah. So the cholesterol course is in my private practice, I just see so many people that have been told that they have high cholesterol or they've watched their high cholesterol increase over the past couple of years, um, and they don't know what to do. They generally eat pretty healthy, and their doctor may want to put them on a medication, but they don't know what to do. 95 million American adults have high cholesterol, and the resources for how to reduce your cholesterol other than don't eat red meat and fried food are pretty like non-existent. Um, they're crappy, to tell you the truth. So I just, you know, I was seeing so many people about it. It's such a needed resource, especially for so many people that don't want to take medication there's another way. So that's why I made this course is really to walk people through how you can improve your cholesterol, how it is in your control for the vast majority of people. Yes, you may have a family history, but for people that really have genetic reasons behind their high cholesterol, it's a very small percentage of the population, maybe, maybe five to 10%. The other 90 to 95% is largely coming from your lifestyle. So right. it's a, a course just really empowering people to make the right lifestyle choices for them to be able to lower that cholesterol naturally and not require that statin. And do you talk, do you work with people's doctors? Like when they are on statins or when they're on medication, do you connect with their doctors and talk to them about that? So I do if I work with them one-on-one -on -one. Right. Yeah. in my private nutrition practice through the course, I don't, but I've had really good success with our initial people going through the course That's great. and, you know, asking their physicians to give them one more chance to do this on their own and coming back with just huge improvements. So, That's amazing. Yeah, it's been super exciting to see the course grow and how many people have been able to do this thing that they thought was completely outside of their control because their parent also had high cholesterol. Yes. Be able to bring that down and avoid needing that medication, not to mention really improve their health. Yeah, that's amazing, amazing. And so where can people find you? Like on channels? Yes. On Instagram, pretty easy. Lower.cholesterol.nutrition is probably the easiest place to, if you're interested in nutrition to find all of that stuff. But there's also, you know, how you can email me through there for other work as well. Are you An also, inside tracker. Yes. Inside tracker, of course. And then are you also still working with athletes to do nutrition counseling? Yes. Yeah. So I am a sports dietitian as well. Um, and I do work with athletes one-on-one. -on -one, and um, you're a triathlete. For performance. Myself, yes, I ha am a triathlete. I uh, need to get back into that, although I still already saw that all Ironman races for this year are sold out. I think it's just rollover from last year. So a lot of it is. It'll be some solo triathlon <laughs> for the year, I think. You have a lot of great races near you, which I'm incredibly Yeah, now I just need of. the pools yeah. in California to open back up. The pools so are not open. Yeah, that's a, nothing is open in California. Nothing is open in California. <laughs> and I'm debating if I want to get back to swimming. I think it was like the best workout I've ever done swimming. It is amazing. Swimming is awesome. Yeah. 
if I could get people into one activity, it's low impact. It's also like meditative because you have yeah. to think about breathing, not all the other dumb stuff that you shouldn't be thinking about. And you can't take your phone um, in the pool to like text people. Exactly. Because like, I am guilty of sitting on my bike and like not at, not in my bike inside. Uh, just to be clear, I'm not riding my bike and texting. Uh, and also, but though I am running and texting and having full on conversations with people. So that's like really bad. It's not defeats the whole purpose of getting out there. Yeah, it's good to be able to check out. Yeah. It's just generally good for you. Yeah. It's a, well, and it's hard. My gosh, swimming is hard. Yeah. Even if you just sat in a pool, your body would be working to maintain your body temperature. Yeah. So that is why swim hunger is so real because there's exercise energy that you're expending, but yes. your body's also expending energy just to maintain your body temperature while you're in water. And so good because it's cold, right? So it's like inflammation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I maybe have to get back to the pool. I feel like I should get back to it if I can. They have like a whole protocol of how you can get back like they allow only a certain amount of people in the pool so there's five lanes and it's two people per lane and it's uh, mm. 45 minutes per person and you have to like come into the locker room you get like 10 minutes and then you're you've got to get in the pool and then you're out so I'm kind gotcha. of I'm waiting to see what the feedback is on if people are getting COVID at the gym and if they're not I'll probably go Gotcha. That's it. But I, I feel like I need to get back to the pool. It's just like, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Awesome. Ashley, thank you so much. This has been great. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.